Uh, today we're going to talk about something that is just such a, a part of our everyday life. We're going to talk about money. First of all, I'd like to ask you what you think about when you hear that word, money. Is it uh, never enough? Uh, how many uh, of you say, I'm, I'm worried about having too much money? <laughs> Not too many hands going up on that one, I don't think. Um, we use some interesting words around the word money. We, we say dirty money. We've heard uh, laundering money. We've heard the, the quite profound, actually, money talks. If money were to talk, what would it say, right? Uh, we sometimes call it the almighty buck. We call it the almighty dollar. Um, when I uh, got married, my wife said words to me that I at first thought were an extension of our vows. She says, honey, your money is now my money. And my money is my money. <laughs> And when we begin to think about money, again, it's, it's easy to see how it's just really part of our everyday lives. And, and, and paraphrasing Ken Shigematsu in his book, God and My Everything, he suggests money has the power to not only enslave us, and we, we're going to talk about that a little bit, but also, if used in love, draw us closer to God and allow us to serve others. Well, do you know who the, the smartest person in the world is about money? This is church, it's not a trick question, it's Jesus. <laughs> a lot of people don't think about Jesus this way, but, but money was pretty high up there in the things that, that he talked about. His, his number one topic was actually the kingdom of God. He talked about the kingdom of God by far and away more than anything else. And that's really, if you want to sum up the kingdom of God, it's about the, the presence and power of God being available here and now. It's about up there, coming down here. And so we pray. We pray every Sunday morning before our services. We pray, your kingdom come, God. Your kingdom come in our lives. We pray that. But Jesus' number two topic was actually this one, was, was, was money. Because Jesus was a really, really smart person, and he knew how our human hearts work. Part of why money is so important is kind of where our, our, spiritual, our spirituality and, and our life gets lived out. Um, it's kind of a barometer, can be a barometer of our relationship with God. Money goes right to the core of who we are and where we live, and, and so Jesus had a lot to say about it. And I think it would be great today to, to think about what would Jesus say to us here today if he were here now, if he was kind of in the flesh speaking to us. And, and I think Jesus would want to shatter a few myths that we have around money, and then I think he'd, he'd give us some action steps we could uh, tape to kind of get reoriented in this whole area. First thing I think Jesus might say is to expose the myth that money can ever make us secure. You could call this the financial security myth. Sometimes we, we live as if a large enough bank account or a low enough mortgage or a safe enough RSP can, can kind of make us secure, and they can't. Um, I, I actually think most of us can usually live with kind of an illusion of control. <laughs> like, like things are going to be okay just about all the time, and we can do that for a while until what happens? Something falls apart. It happens to all of us. I think of uh, back in, in 2000 in March when, when this happened, uh, there was a, a, what they call it, called the dot-com bubble burst, where, where tech stocks kind of en masse fell. I think again of what happened on, on not September 11, 2001, what happened on September 12th when the stock market crashed, or in the fall of, of 2008, where the, the bottom fell out of the stock market, really. It was another depression, they called it. Um, what happened? Everybody panics. 
Why does everyone panic? Because the illusion of control is, is, is burst. It's gone, right? The myth of security is exposed. We realize kind of our, our vulnerability. Now, now if, we're, we're, if we're honest, if, if we're really looking at life realistically, we're always vulnerable. Our, our lives are really kind of always just hanging on by a thread, but we can usually live in the illusion of security. But when a panic like this comes along, we actually face the truth. Now, let me say it's never pleasant to, to go through a recession. It's never pleasant to lose a job or to have uh, a financial uh, mishap or trouble happen. The pain of that is not good, but the realization of the truth, to be freed from the illusion of control, that can be really, really good. In fact, Jesus is frequently, frequently going after this one, folks, and, and he did this often through telling stories. And there was one story he told about a rich guy who has this this year of, of windfall profits, a prosperous year, a great financial season. And Jesus said that this man said to himself after this windfall season, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And Jesus goes on to say, So it is for all who store up good things for themselves that they think make them so secure, but are not rich towards God. Here's the best investment advice you'll ever get, and you won't get it from Michael Campbell or CIBC or Van City or even Stephen Harper. And this is the advice. You will die. You will surely die. (laughs) Rich or poor, you will die. All, All the money in the world can't change that, so... Don't buy the myth that having enough money can, can ever make you one bit more secure than you are right now. You have to build your life on, on something stronger than money. The reality is, I mean, we've seen this in our lives. If you live long enough, housing prices go up and down. And, and, and bank accounts rise and they predictably fall. Jobs come and go. And financial markets, they ebb and flow. But I really can't build my life on that stuff. What, what's more solid? I think Jesus would say, build your life on what never changes, and what never changes is the character and power of God. You ever, you ever um, you've seen on television, uh, you, you know what a ticker is? It's a stock ticker. It's basically a digital screen, and, a, and across it runs uh, little, little uh, letters that represent stocks, and it shows those that have gone up and those that have gone down and by what percent and so on. And, and occasionally there'll be a stock where there wasn't, the value didn't change that day. It was unchanged. And I think if there's a, a ticker for the kingdom of God, do you know how that ticker would read? God's character today, unchanged. God's patience today, unchanged. God's, God's love for you today, God, unchanged. God's commitment to justice, unchanged. God's heart of mercy, un, unchanged. That The market may fluctuate and the market may go up and down but nothing in heaven has changed today god is always sovereign every day of our lives whatever is going on jesus still sits on the throne at the right hand of the father he's he's our rock and he's an anchor for our lives he's an anchor in in whatever storm we're in he's our only hope and by the way we don't get to vote on this And the government, the kingdom of God is never going to need a bailout from the government. Amen? Amen. So don't buy the myth that money or more money can make you more secure. You've got to find your security somewhere else. 
I think Jesus would also say that it's time to expose the myth that more will one day get you to happy because that myth can be really seductive. Paul put it like this, but, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And he speaks really plainly here. He, he says, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and, and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Let me just ask you a question. Do you think that we live in a part of a world that tempts people to get rich? Just a little bit, maybe, kind of? Our, our, our society, I think, immerses us in the idea that the, the path to true satisfaction is in more, acquiring more. Um, this is fascinating. A few years ago, I read a, about a guy named Thomas uh, Pinal. He uh, works for the Mars Candy Company. Um, Guess what his uh, title is? The Vice President uh, of Indulgence. That's his title. Um, it's kind of a cool title in a way, but, but he's come up with ideas like the creation of what are now called M&M premiums. These are uh, the M&Ms that, are, that sell for up to $100 for a package. Actually, they've discontinued them. I think uh, market crash solved that issue. People weren't buying them, but, but this still goes on. You, can actually buy, you could, for a while, buy M&Ms with your picture on them. It's like you could consume yourself. <laughs> and then uh, I was at Starbucks this week, and they had um, a little advertisement saying that they're selling a, a gift card that you can buy for $200. This gift card has a $50 value, and it's a sterling silver card. And uh, the, the Starbucks barista told me that they're actually selling these things. They're so popular that they've sold out in many places. They're selling them on eBay now. You can buy them for like three, $400 sterling silver Starbucks card. I want one, by the way. Get me one for Christmas. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I mean, the race to expand our appetites and just to consume more is, is never-ending. And, and here's the thing. As I said a few weeks ago, um, we get something like 5,000 messages coming at us every day. And, and even if that's overblown, even if we're only getting, say, a tenth of that, say we're getting 500 messages or, or so a day. We live in a, a suburb, a city. I'm sure we get at least that. Um, you open up your web browser, and there it is on every screen, on every page, right? I mean, and, and it's kind of funny. They're, they're, they're pretty impressive now. Ads are actually targeted and tailored to you. They, they track your Google account. They, they, they track your searches, your Facebook activity. And so the ads now are tailored towards you. It's, it's kind of funny, but it's not. I, I, this week, um, I was looking online to buy something for my wife's birthday. And I saw something that I actually thought I would like, which is always the, the path to a magical birthday party for your partner. Um, and so I looked at it, and I got to say, I looked at it longingly, and, and, and I, I realized, you know what, I don't need that. I was like, I, I, I kind of had this dialogue going back and forth, and I'm like, I really don't need that thing, and so I'm not going to buy that thing. And that's, that's where it, it kind of landed for me. But here's the thing. Ever since that day where I searched for that thing on, on the Internet, every page I open has a little window on the side asking me to buy that thing. It's like it won't let me say no. It's like, that's, that's our culture. There's this, this pull, I think, constantly to meet our needs through acquiring more and more and more. And, and let's be honest, folks, it ramps up this time of year. I mean, we've been having pre-Black Friday sales for, for a, a week or so now. I mean, we live in Canada. 
We don't even have Black Friday, but we've adopted Black Friday. We don't have American Thanksgiving, but we have Black Friday um, and Cyber Monday and then pre-Christmas sales. It's just nuts. How about the luxury house firm with the slogan, we sell what nobody needs. Of course, as someone put it, the human condition is, is that we need what nobody sells. Um, I had a, a roommate, a couple of roommates in college who were in business and economics, and they do these case studies on companies and on the economy. And the professors would say, now students, I want you to look at this corporation, look at this company. Who's winning today, greed or fear? There's only two options, and who's winning, greed or fear? And the idea that is that when things are going well, when the chart is kind of going up and, and to the right, when things are prospering, that greed is then in the the driver's seat. Greed is winning today. But then if things in the economy start going bad or in the company, then, then, then everyone panics. Then then what is in the driver's seat? Fear, right? So who's winning today, greed or, or fear? And, and I think, to be honest, uh, back in 2008, when the economy crashed, uh, we were in a situation where fear was winning. I think we've swung to the place again where, where greed, probably culturally, for, for the most part, is in the driver's seat. Greed is winning. Anyone remember what the, the famous motto is uh, printed on every U.S. dollar or every U.S. penny even? In God we trust, right? Kind of funny, isn't it? It's, not, it's ironic because our, our attitude to money is a spiritual deal and, and because of, of our fallenness, money wants us to trust it. And Jesus talked about this. He said nobody can serve two masters. Nobody can serve God and money the money God, the, the more God, the mammon God. Because if we do, if we trust it, we'll spend our lives either with, with greed or with fear in the driver's seat. One or the other, if we trust in money. And God's intent is that we would neither live in fear or greed. Now, the tricky part is greed, right? I think, I think it's tricky because it's one of those sins that's hardest uh, to see in ourselves. Uh, many of the sins uh, that we commit are, are very obvious to us if we if we lie or if we steal or if we commit adultery, we kind of we know we're doing those things. They're, they're kind of obvious to us. I know that. But the, the, the tricky thing with greed is, is that I can always find somebody who is more materialistic than I am, who spend, spends more lavishly than I do to make me look good by comparison. There's always somebody buying one of those sterling silver Starbucks cards. And you go, well, I'd never do that. For example, if there's a, a group of people singing and one person in that group is singing off-key, who is the last person to know? The last person is the person singing off-key. And if there's a group of, greedy, a group of people and, and there's a greedy person in the midst of that, who's the last person to know they're greedy? The greedy guy. <laughs> and, and, and it's because part of greed's seductiveness and destructiveness is it blinds us to its presence in our lives. That's part of why we as we, 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 as, as people, as, as communities, we need to be able to speak truth to one another. We need to love each other enough to speak truth to one another. And I hope you have that kind of community. One of the great, great uh, blessings when crisis hits financially is, is uh, that when we lose our, our jobs or get financially squeezed, fear moves into the driver's seat. And we may not see or know what greed feels like. We, may not, we might be blind to it, but everyone knows what fear you know, feels like. 
And we know we've been trusting in the wrong God. Now, I think if Jesus was here, he'd also want to expose what may, might be called the myth of ownership. You, you all know uh, two-year-old's favorite word is no. You know what their second most favorite word is? Mine. That's right. It's a goofy thing. I mean, think about it. What doesn't a two-year-old actually own? <laughs> really. But it's like we, 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 uh, this is so ingrained in us that we come out of the womb with the word mine on our lips, right? What do you think God does when, when, he say, when we say mine? Here's what scripture teaches. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world is the Lord's. All, all who live in it are the Lord's. In Psalm 50, it says, God, God says, for every animal of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills are mine. The book of Haggai, the, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. When it comes to all, all the earth, all creation, all its resources, all its commodities, all wealth, all creatures, all human beings, who's the owner? God. How do you feel about that? Is that good news? Who's not the owner? You and me. I'll put it this way. Have you ever uh, driven a rental car? And uh, how many of you have ever driven a rental car and then, like, taken it to the car wash to get it washed? That's just strange. Why would you do that? Why, why don't we typically wash our rental cars or change the oil in our rental cars? Because they're not ours, right? It's not mine. And, and, and here's the, the, the truth about your money. Here's the Jesus truth. Your money is not your money, so don't worry about it. Don't clutch on to it. Don't let it create your sense of identity. Don't ever think that your, your net worth is your worth to God. Don't, don't get all proud when your money piles up. And don't get all fearful when your money is scarce because your money is not your money. I think that's what Jesus would say. He'd say it's about time to get liberated from the myth that I own everything because God owns everything. He's the owner. And I'm the steward. I'm, I'm to use it for him when he entrusts it to me. It's not mine. This lesson is becoming uh, a little more real to me uh, since we bought a single family dwelling this last year. Um, in fact, we bought a house exactly a year ago this weekend, and we kind of celebrated that. But we used to live in a townhouse, and they have in a, in a townhouse organization, they have this wonderful group called the Strata People. I never wanted to be a Strata People, but they're handy to have. And you pay them a monthly stipend, you, you pay into this pool, and f for that money, they actually maintain your house. Like, they, they paint the exterior, and they, they shovel the snow on the, the, the drive out front, and they do all these great things and take care of it in some senses and mow your lawn. And I've loved that. And, and here we now have our own kind of home. It's ours entirely. And it's been what a, a great, great gift. And, and, it's, and, and, and just an aside, um, a year ago yesterday, um, the day after we moved in, we had this kind of neat experience. We invited a few friends over and we walked through the house that we'd bought and we prayed through every room and asked for God's blessing on every room. And at, at one particular point, we dedicated our house to God. And, and we try to do this with any possession, particularly bigger possessions God gives us. We say, Lord, this is yours. And uh, we want to commit it to you. We want it to be used for you, and so on. And you know what? It's easy to say that and pray that again. It's one of those things. It's a little harder to live that and know that. It's been tested. And so I, I, this fall, I, I, I got really stressed about maintaining our house. I was just feeling like the jobs were piling up. I didn't think I could do them all, and, and we had stuff going wrong, and I was getting overwhelmed. How are we going to fix these things? I don't have the time, and I don't have the money, and, and, and we seem to have this um, major issue with our plumbing. 
Our water pressure was so low. It was about a, a, a quarter of what it should be. Um, one of these things where we're just going, what's going on with our water? And, and I, I'm envisioning and, and talking and picking people's brains, and they're saying, well, you've got to call the city in, and you're going to need a plumber. And this, it sounds like a big job, and that, this is what we were hearing from people. Maybe it can never be fixed. It's just the way it is. And I'm getting stressed about this money issue. And, and, and so in the, in the week that we're thinking, I'm thinking about all this stuff, I don't even think my wife knew how this was beginning. That this, this house that I owned was beginning to weigh on me. And we prayed together. And it was as if God said, don't you remember I own this house? In fact, he went further and said to me, really clearly to me, he says, you're a guest in this house. It's like, oh. <laughs> that was a, an entirely different way of looking at it, that this wasn't my house, this was God's house, and I, I'm a guest in his house. That's a, a, an entirely different way of looking at something that I own. Funny, um, as I prayed that again, I said, God, it's your, your house, and, and you need to take care of these things. I again laid down all these maintenance issues and, and our water pressure, and uh, I'm beginning to think, okay, what do I do about this? Do I call a plumber? And I talked to a neighbor, and they said, hey, before you do anything, just, just a thought, just make sure the valve is open. And uh, I went downstairs into the basement and found out where the water comes in, the main water supply comes into our house, and, and the tap was turned low. And, and it took me six seconds and uh, four turns of the tap, and we had full, powerful water coming into our house. Praise God for that. But, but it's like God said to me, I told you this is my house. You're my guest. I'll take care of it. Such a relief being a steward. It's surprising that it is actually good news that it is yours and not mine. That's a good news message, folks. We think it's a bad news thing. We want to say mine with all our hearts. And God says, oh, it's my world. Be a guest in it. Use it and, 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 and keep that in perspective. Now, not only would, would I think Jesus want to shatter some money myths that are common in our lives, I, I think Jesus might have a, a few practical steps for us to take and things we can kind of do to get reorientated financially. Whatever financial season we live in, whether it's a season of more or a season of less, and one of them is this, I think it, it would make sense for many of us to regularly immerse our minds, to meditate on scriptures to do with God and money and security. Just let our minds go there. And we have friends uh, who we've stayed with before who are news junkies, and when you're in their home, it doesn't matter if you're having a conversation, their, their TV is always on to the news channel, and uh, so we stayed there for a few days, and we're watching the news all the time. And I'm, I'm like finding that you watch the news, and it's all fear, fear, fear. And you watch the ads, and it's like all greed, greed, greed. <laughs> I was being torn back and forth at the very same, the very same moments there. And it's all good to watch news and read news, but it's good to fill our minds with better stuff. Here's better stuff. Paul's words to the church in Philippi. I want us to read these words together from the screen and think about them as we read them. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Let's read it again. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Paul starts by saying, my God. I mean, did Paul have any needs? Do you know where Paul wrote this from? He was sitting in prison. Uh, he didn't have anything. He didn't have any possessions. He didn't have uh, a pension. Uh, he, he'd been shipwrecked. Uh, he didn't have anything. But he has God. And Paul says, my God. 
And I think that's not just Paul's God, that's my God. My, even in my brokenness, that's my God. That's the God who, who loves me. That's the God who, who loves you. He can be your God, and, and that's the great news of the gospel of Jesus, is that he came so that all of us, uh, we can come to him, and we can know that through Jesus' death on the cross, he paid for the debt of our sins. A debt that, that I could never pay. Uh, not, not enough money in the world for that one. And we come humbly as, as a little child or a little, little boy, little girl, and say, God, I, I need you. I need you in my life. I need your, your guidance. I need your leadership. I need your forgiveness. And, and through you, I can have a new start. And, and we're promised. Uh, it says uh, in, in John, it says, for those who received him, for those who believe in his name, they're given the right to become children of God. And so we, we can have that designation of being children of God. It's, it's a great gift. And then he can be our God. Paul says, uh, and, and I, I think, by the way, that is security. That's the foundation for it, is knowing that he's our God. Paul says, and my God will meet some of your needs. Is that what it says? All of your needs. Because what we really need, and, and why we go crazy trying to get stuff, is we need to be loved and be loving. We need joy. We need richness, not in having, but in, in being. To, to be rich in love, to be rich in strength, to be rich in, in goodness. My, my God will meet all your needs according to not what's in your, your bank account, not with what your net worth is or, or, or your housing price. That doesn't matter, but according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. How much is that? That's a lot of riches. I think of all the riches God has, has given me in Christ. My life, my body, my, my family, forgiveness. I mean, I think the hope of heaven, the, the, the courage of, to face death. I, th- I think of the forgiveness that we have in him, the, the clean slate we have, the I have the people that I love get to be part of this church, get meaning and and, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm so rich. No downturn or no job loss can ever change that. It never can. I think Jesus would say, just immerse your mind in something richer, better. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Uh, then I think Jesus would always say, I think it's always a good time to think about those who have less than we do. You know, those who have greater needs than our own. Jesus said to a group of people who were, had far fewer resources than we do, listen to what he said. He says, do not be afraid, little flock, for the Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid. Now, on the basis of that wealth, he's saying, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide for yourself purses that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail. Um, I, I love the fact that the message of our culture is more, more, and more, and, and Jesus is saying less, less, less. Just sell your possessions. Actually, divest of some of the stuff you have and give to those in need. That's the better way, he says. And the Bible also makes it very clear that, that God has a heart that is passionately concerned for the poor. Uh, if we're to be anywhere in track or in sync with God's heart, we've got to know that he cares about the last and the lost and the least. That's who God cares about. We live in a, in a world where 2 billion people, 2 billion people live on less than $2 a day. These are people that God loves very much. It's important to examine our, our hearts. Have you heard the difference between a recession and a depression? 
A recession is when you lose your job, or when your neighbor loses your job, their job. A depression is when you lose your job, correct? <laughs> Statistically, I, I'd say most of us in this room will probably never lose our jobs. I mean, some of us will. Many of us have. But most of us will actually have relative economic stability through many of our lives, most of our lives. Not all of us, but most of us. But there are, are people in our neighborhood, there are people in our city who are, are struggling, financial peop, struggling financial people who are going through an awful lot of pain. So do I have a heart like Jesus? Do I care like, like God cares for people who have less than I do? We aren't even talking about parts of the world like Pakistan or Kenya or, or Haiti, places like that. We're talking about our neighborhood, our community. Um, Bob Russell, he's a well-known pastor. He commented on an initiative that his church was making towards the, the poor in his community, to an outrage to, to others. And he said one fellow in their elders group made this comment. I think it's profound. He said, I just gave away money I don't have for people I've never met, for a God I love very much. Folks, what an opportunity that we have here in our world to, to see a church, for our world to see a church that that actually trusts Jesus so fully that its concern is stronger for those beyond itself, for those most in need, rather than for themselves. I think Jesus would tell us that. I think Jesus would tell us in a, in a culture, in our, our day, in this particular season right now, in the end of November, I think Jesus would say that, that we should nurture contentment. As I read earlier, Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And when I first read that in the Bible, I thought, I, I haven't learned the secret of being content. I've learned the secret of being discontent. I got that one kind of nailed. I need to learn this other lesson. And so you, you look back at this whole passage in, in Philippians. It's a great, great chapter. And, and if you read it, it says, by prayer with thanksgiving. How do you nurture contentment it's by thanksgiving continuous thanksgiving thanking god for for what you have thanking god for the the riches you have in christ doing a bit of a a a, a look around your life and going i have this and this and this and this and god has blessed me and knowing that and, and and focusing on that and then i'd suggest that we pray and ask for discernment when we're watching advertisements and commercials I'd suggest a, a spiritual discipline for us would be to pray before we go shopping. Wouldn't that be good? I, I, I'd say that's probably not enough. You have to pray as you're shopping. It has to be that part of our lives. We have to pray because it, the, 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 the message is, this thing is going to make you happy. And, and, and in our culture, don't we know by now that it doesn't? It really doesn't. I mean, that's what our, our team came back from Kenya and they just found, that they said, the people have so little, and they're so happy. They're a little bit less encumbered than we are in this area, for good and bad. Then I think Jesus would say that when a storm hits, and they do, whether they're financial or otherwise, what do you do? Jesus would say you cling to God. You cling to God. The stores, storms come. I mean, they did uh, with his disciples. In fact, sometimes Jesus allowed them to go through storms. They're on the, the boat, on the water, and, and the storm hits, and they think they're going to be capsized, and Jesus comes out to them on the lake, and he gives them a, one primary message. Do you know what it was? 
don't be afraid, for I'm with you. And Jesus comes to each of us with that same message. He always wants to come to us when we're in a storm of our own. He wants to speak those same words to us. Do not be afraid. We've said this before, but do you know what the most common command in Scripture is? The very most common thing that God instructs us to do is to not be afraid. It's found 366 times in Scripture. That means there's one for every day and then for one for the leap year as well. Don't be afraid, God says. I'm with you. You cling to me. Whatever your need is, whatever your anxiety is about, whatever your financial problems are and your worry is about the future, know this. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches, the riches in the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Invite the music team to come forward. We're going to We're going to sing and respond in song. Let's pray. Yeah. 